Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Ace Chapman has been in private equity for over 20 years. The first business he bought was an online stock market simulator in the early days of the internet. He purchased the website, made some changes, and grew it from 10,000 to 250,000 users and generated a 100x cash-on-cash return. Since that initial acquisition, Ace has built systems around building private equity funds, completing close to 200 deals. He has served as a general partner for eight funds, His process, experience, and insight into private equity are among the reasons that the majority of his partners return fund after fund. Ace, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. It is great to be here with you, sir. (laughs) Man, so listen, folks, Ace and I met at a deal exchange conference. That was a lot of fun. He presented and, and, you know, as somebody who talks about the mindset of a deal maker and what makes people deal makers and you know that whole distinction and 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 as an advocate for deal driven growth and non organic growth, like this guy could be the poster, you know, the poster guy for for that philosophy because I was sitting in one of in his session. I'm like, yes, 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 <laughs> you know, we agree. But before we get to all that and talk about a little more of your great story and the deals you do, and I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe eight, 10, 12 years old. Ace, what did you want to be? Because my guess is a serial, you know, entrepreneur acquirer might not have been it, but you tell me. <laughs> well, going back, you know, to to a young kid, I, you know, I grew up. My dad was a pastor, and when we would go out, I had a, a, a fascination, I guess, with being wealthy as as a kid because mm-hmm. we were, he was not a wealthy pastor. He was a, <laughs> he was a pastor of a small church, and you know was a, was an amazing man and gave you know if we had anything he was giving it to somebody else. And so you know I can only imagine how much he would cringe when every when anybody would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up because my answer was rich, <laughs> <laughs> and they would try to dig in. And asked me like, well, no, like, that's great. But what do you want to do? You want to be like an attorney? You want to be a doctor? And I'm like, nah, none of that. Just, I'll just be rich. I think I'll just do that instead. (laughs) And I had seen these TV shows, you know, back in the day in the eighties, you know, you just had these kind of TV shows. You might have like a Miami Vice, whatever. And you would just see a guy and he's just rich. And he goes like, it's not working. It's not a doctor. He's just rich. So I, that was my plan, but my poor parents had to suffer through that. And like, well, you got to come up with something that you want to be. I was like, I've already come up with it. Right. That's it. It's rich. <laughs> I love it. 
right, look at that. What and maybe this is the one in your bio. Maybe there's something before. I know that was your first M and A deal of that we discussed in the bio. But what was your first deal of uh, of any type? But looking back, could be something when you were younger, or maybe it was that deal. You, you know what 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 comes to mind. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was obviously having that kind of mindset. I was obviously the kid that was buying candy and selling that, sure. finding the cool pencils and, and selling that. But I actually had a, a a little business that was pretty neat in high school that ended up making me the money. And that first deal that you mentioned, I had about $3,000 saved that I had put down on, on this business. And that $3,000 came from a business where I would sell these gold necklaces. So I was in a store that, you know, just had these, like, they weren't, they were not actual gold, but they looked really cool. And they said 14 karat gold. It didn't say like gold plated or anything. Okay. (laughs) And so, you know, basically they were like a dollar. And so I would sell these things for $14 or $20. And, you know, it was obvious. It was like, hey, like it says 14 karat. I don't think it's real. It's probably not real. And it was just so many business lessons from that first experience. The first one was like the power of like franchising, basically. Uh So, you know, I was at a school and then I had friends that went to other schools. And so I came up with a plan where I would, you know, sell it to them wholesale at like $8 and they could go and sell it for 15, 20, whatever. Well, listen, when when your cost of acquisition of goods is a dollar and you you could sell it retail for 14, there's a lot of margin in there, a lot of room. A lot of margin. So, um, yeah. But so at my school, you know, people would do ridiculous things. Like they would go swimming with the necklace. I'm like, you pay $20 for this necklace and you thought you could go swimming in it. (laughs) And, but when they came back to me with their neck green and the necklace, it's like, here's another one. I won't make you pay anything for it. So it's free, but don't do that again. (laughs) Right, 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 right. My other people though, I had one guy in particular, this is where I learned like, as you start to sell to other people, the issues that come up, he didn't have that. He didn't want to give up anything. He didn't want, <laughs> and he was obviously paying the wholesale for the, the beggars. So, right, right. so he, he had like less margin. Right. Right. So people would come back to him and they're like, Hey, I don't know. You got to call this Ace Chapman guy. And this is back in the day with like pagers. So he's giving <laughs> my pager number out to people. They're blowing me up bad. He I, He's telling them that it's real for $20. And so it's just like, I had no quality control over the process. So I made some really great money, but had to shut that business down. <laughs> I, I didn't want it. people coming after me for the fake gold necklaces. I love it. So so then you said you took three. I, I definitely, this is a story you told when at the conference we met. Yeah, I really want to hear, tell the audience the story of this first business and the three grand and how you, you know, how you got that first deal done. Yeah. So while I was in college, I actually made a bit of a shift and wanted to study political science because I, 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 as funny as I didn't want to be an attorney at all when I was young, as I got over, it's like, okay, well, that that would be a, a cool career path. While I was there, though, I was really interested in business as well. And so I was playing this stock market simulator game called Cool Wall Street. And the frustrating thing about it was, number one, there weren't a lot of options back then. This is like 1999 for games and just things like that. But the site was always crashing. There were just always issues. They had a form on the site and the whole form was just basically complaints and <laughs> talking about the, the admins never responded. And, and then they didn't even respond to that in their own form. So I reached out to them because I felt like the business had so much potential and they were just like throwing it away. 
So I reached out and I'm like, hey, I'll come and intern for y'all for free this summer, help you build this thing into what it could be, and you know, just do it as an intern. And eventually, it still took a long time to write back. They wrote back and said, we're not looking for interns. We want to get rid of this business. We want to sell it to somebody. We've moved on to another project that you know basically they were more excited about. And they basically made me an offer. So their offer to me was, you go and find somebody who will buy the business from us, and then you can intern for them. For that, right. And I'm thinking, why in the world would I go find you a buyer so I can have a free job? Like that makes <laughs> no sense. So I did not like that offer, but I was curious about the business. I ended up reaching out. Asking them if, you know, like, yeah, as a 19-year-old kid, yeah, I'm coming across people who want to buy businesses all the time. Send me the information. (laughs) They were making about $60,000. They wanted $70,000 for the business. You know, I tell people I had no idea about valuations, but what I did know was, you know, at Colgate University, people were paying $140,000 over four years. And a lot of people were getting out, getting a job, making $40,000. And so that seemed like a really great comp. So 60,000 for 70,000 and I get to own this business, but it didn't matter because like we talked about, I had $3,000 to my name and I ended up getting that first deal, which, you know, basically was my first kind of leverage buyout where (laughs) I unannounced my parents, took out some credit cards (laughs) and converted some of that into cash. You get these checks back in the day. Oh, sure. Uh, You know, we were reminiscing that, you know, when you walk around the campus, Back in the day, they had what would be totally predatory today, had these companies that are basically just credit card companies, and they're giving you a t-shirt in exchange for you signing up for, for these credit cards. Yep. So I had ignored them until I needed that money. So that worked out. That got me, you know, about 11000 between three different cards. <laughs> and then I had an investor who was wanting to put in, and they financed the rest of it. And so I was able to buy that 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 business for seventy thousand at, at nineteen, and that that really just changed the course of my life. Thank goodness I didn't continue with the political science. <laughs> well, and how did who was the investor? How did you get an investor at nineteen? Oh, that that's a, a a really great question. So I had a great buddy of mine, and I'm telling him about this deal, not thinking that he has any money, but I'm saying like, man, you know, like they've agreed to finance thirty five. I've got like about 15. I kind of got this difference. I, I got to figure out like how I'm going to do it. And I don't know where to go to get the money. And he's like, I got the money. I'm like, what? Like, where did you get the money? And he's like, I got it in my, for my bar mitzvah. <laughs> Which at that point, I didn't know what a bar mitzvah was, but I was right. trying to get one. <laughs> I love it. I wanted one. And so, yeah, he took a portion of his bar mitzvah money and invested and that was that was really cool because he, he saw the same thing. He was studying. For him, it was really cool as well because he was a programmer. So yep. he was in school for programming. And so not only, and this it gets into what we're going to be talking about today, it's like growth through deal making. You know, not only does he come in and he's an investor, but he was he was, had a motivated interest in getting getting the, the site right. And I knew nothing about programming. So yeah. it was just a win-win. So I, and that was one of the things I was kind of talking about. I was like, oh, if I do this deal, like, would you be interested in working on it? He's like, not only will I be interested in working on it, I'll do the best. So it's just a very cool win-win. Really, 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 really awesome. I love it. So three grand in cash, 11, 12 grand in, in credit card, cash advances, seller financing of 35 
K and then another 20K or whatever the math is, 21K from from your buddy and you and, and you finance the deal. So so talk to us about what what happens. So you buy it and then I mean the bio gave the the, the high level, but uh, you know, yeah. the, the, talk to us the about kind of that journey and then, and then, and then what exactly. And then, and then what eventually happened with that business? <laughs> yeah. So you get, I get the business, I'm in the dorm room, I'm working on this thing. And there was just a lot of low hanging fruit. You know, the first one was actually responding to the customer emails. <laughs> and it, yeah, it was really great because the the expectation level was so low. It was so outrageously low that just responding, people were just like, oh my goodness, the greatest ever. I love this. The form completely changed. And so it was great. Like that's why I love that to this day. Just get the businesses. They're make, making money in spite of itself. Yeah. So that initial growth, like people started to refer, we started to get some some initial just referral growth. And I get to the point where I, you know, I'm, I need to hire people and I have some people that want to invest in the business. So over the course of that summer, I'm working yeah. on business. I'm, my dad, my parents are basically telling me like, you have got to get uh, like a job. Like you need to be working on something where, you know, it's going to help you find a job when you get out of school. Like you should be doing something in your field. What is this internet thing? And I'm like, no, I'm like making money. It's like, well, even if you're making money, you got to, you know, you should be doing something in law. So I'm I'm dealing with them kind of, you know, coming after me all summer as I'm working on this thing. And then when you get towards the end of the summer, I've got these investors that want to invest in the business. And I go to my dad and I'm like, I got to do want to invest in the business, but they're telling me they don't want me to go. It's, if I go back to school, they don't want, they want me to be doing it full time. And I'm thinking like, I don't know if I should take off a year. I really don't know what to do. And he's like, why would anybody want to invest in this business? Now you got to think this is like 99. So the yeah. internet and all this stuff is just really new. Yep. And he's just like, why would somebody want to invest in this website thing? And um, he's like, you know, I'm like, I like to just make it money. It's like, is it making like real money or just internet money? <laughs> because it was a stock market simulator with fake money. Right, right, right. right. So right, he's so you... thinking, I'm just making this fake money. I'm like, no, dad, it's like real money. And I had a jet. And you're not talking about crypto because this is way before crypto. <laughs> exactly. My dad could have invented crypto. He came up with the idea first. Like, no, you're just making that internet money. <laughs> could have been billionaires. <laughs> So I had a check. It was from DoubleClick, which eventually is like now what we know is AdSense and AdWords was bought by by Google. Yep. So it's this DoubleClick. I had this this check from them. And, you know, number one, the name was DoubleClick, which is what you do on the mouse. And my dad's like, DoubleClick, this thing is a scam. (laughs) Secondly, the the logo was kind of cartoony. He's like, this is just like, this isn't real. And it was like a a $5,000 check I received from them. It's like, we have got to go down to the bank right now. You've been depositing these checks all all this time. Like you're involved in some kind of scam. These random people (laughs) off of the internet. Do you know these people? Have you ever, like, we're going back to the old days of like old doing business in the old way. And so from his perspective, it's like, you're getting checks in the mail from people called DoubleClick that you've never met in your life. They don't know you. (laughs) They're in some other place. Like, why would they do that? And you're a 19 year old kid. So we get down to the bank and he goes up to the test like, listen, I I need to just inform y'all. There's some scam that my son has been getting these checks. Can you go back there and, and call the call the other bank and just like get this settled? And she looks up at it and also agrees. Oh my God, yes. Double click cartoon company. This thing is totally fake. She goes to the back. 
comes out and I'm sure like her face said it all. Like they're probably like, like, like a half a billion dollar company at that point. <laughs> it's real. And she comes out. He's like, yeah, like it's definitely real. All the checks are good. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we get in the car and this is from like my dad who had just been staunch. Like you need to be focused on school. You need to be focused on the, on the law tucker and blah, blah. We get in the car. He like looks at me. He's like, why are you even considering going back to school? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the the vote and, and push that I needed. And, and so I ended up raising that capital and, and, and running the business and just, you know, at, at a young age, got the good fortune of being able to build a team and understand financials and reporting to investors and just doing board meetings, just a lot of things that I look back now, which, you know, I'm sure I just was just a clueless kid kind of figuring things out, but it was just so many great lessons. That business after the dot-com boom in 2001 ended up all our customers, all of our advertisers basically went out of business. So double click yeah. was the ad agency, yeah, the bust. Yeah. all of them just went out. And so eventually we just petered out. And so here I was, I was completely devastated. I didn't have a degree. I, you know, didn't know what I was going to do. I lost the business. And, you know, even for me at that point, I felt like it was just this luck thing of like finding a business that happened to be for sale. I didn't know anything about buying and selling businesses. And I was talking to a friend about just like, oh, like I bought this business and da da. And now it's going out of business. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And he's like, oh, you should be, meet this other guy. He does something like that. And he's an older guy and he like makes an introduction. And so I'm talking to him and I'm like, yeah, like Eric says, you do something like we do something similar. And I was like, what do you do? And he was like, well, I, I flip hospitals. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we do nothing. <laughs> so like, you're, like, there's no comparison between what I did and what you're doing. But I got to spend some time with him. And one of the greatest, you know, just first conversation lessons from, from Dr. Mike Aiken was that he, you know, was asking about this business. I'm just like kind of down and, you know, the business without a business. My view at that point was that entrepreneurship or business ownership, if you're going to be successful, was Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, you know, Larry Ellison. You have one thing, you're going to grow it for your life. You're going to like have, take it public or something. And that is how success works in business. Right. And so he's, Asked me about the thing. I'm like, oh, it was a complete failure, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, so like how much did you put into the business? You know, when you did, it was still like $3,000. And it was like, okay. And then over the last three years, like what have you personally taken out of the business? Yeah. It's like, well, with the salary and then the distributions, whatever, it was a little over 300000 He's like, that was a success. <laughs> just go do that again. And it was just funny, like this paradigm shift where it was like, Wow, like I'd never even considered it that way. It's like you just you did a hundred x return. I dream of that. Like I dream of ever having something like that. Yeah. And so that like initial conversation, as well as like some onboard conversation, was the thing that like changed my life from from there. Yeah, and and it's interesting because I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of go to yeah. I'm not saying the end, but like the thing that you know impressed me about you when I saw you talk at the conference was that. You know, I always talk about the mindset of a deal maker, right? There's the mindset of an entrepreneur, which is different than the mindset of an employee, right? Uh, you know, but the, and then there's something also different because you can be a successful entrepreneur without doing deals. You can be great at sales, organic growth, right? Whatever, and you could, yeah. you know, but 
the whole premise of this podcast is that, hey, this is other good thing you could be doing as well, which is called deal-driven growth, you know, even if you graded organic growth. But you are like deals first in mentality, right? Yeah. You know, in fact, I, I remember you said something at that talk about, you know, every aspect on, you know, every expense on your P&L, right, you look to own, right? And I'm not saying you do that at, at every, but that's the mentality, yeah, the right? Goal. That's the, that should be the goal. Yeah, that should be the goal, right? So, so why don't we let's sort of bookend this? We got the starting story, so let's yeah, let's talk about now and that philosophy and sort of how that is practically applied because that's a very different mindset than even people who do deals for very specific purposes. Like you were again, you're really in my mind. Like you think deal first. Yeah, yeah, I think that everything basically should should be a deal. So part of that, you know, is they're they're basically kind of these three different segments of that philosophy. So the first part is what you mentioned, the P&L strategy. So I'm looking at everything in my expense column and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I keep that within kind of my holding company? So quick example of, of that, that's one of the more simple ones is, you know, we, we had a, a, a holding company that had, you know, several businesses up under it. We realized, hey, we've got a lot of costs when it comes to bookkeeping. So we bought a very small bookkeeping company. They only had 10 clients. We added, you know, our five clients to it that also had, you know, quite a bit of work to it, which essentially because of the amount of work that we had doubled the size of this business. And so when sure. you, you are kind of thinking about this this way, it's like, if you can buy something, in that case, we did get at a one and a half multiple, but if you get to buy it at a, at a two multiple and you instantly take that part of your P&L and put it into this business. So now it's not going out. You know, I want to, the, the other part of this PL is that I'm just trying to keep everything within my businesses mm. because this is a, a dollar amount. And so that the, the dollars that we take off of our expense and put into this business is now multiplied by a three multiple. And by putting that on into this business, we've doubled the size of that business. So we now we're buying it at a one multiple or a 0.75 multiple. And we're adding these dollars that we before was just an expense and we're turning it into a three multiple. The second part of this is that somebody's already built everything. And so mm-hmm. it's the, just the concept that, you know, if we're looking at, hey, we need this talent. So one of the deals that we're working on literally right now is a VA company. So in one of our businesses, a big headache in that business is we're always having to hire or place VAs and train them when they come in and get them kind of the basic skill sets, blah, blah, blah. So that is a, a was a big expense and a big headache in our business. So we found this business that's that is basically for sale and it's making about 16000 net a month. And they're already in the business of finding the VAs, which can be worked to get the high qualities, training them. They send some of those, those other people. But now instead of us trying to build and systemize the, the, the VA hiring, training, HR development, just all of that stuff, they've got all of that and we can get paid to own it. And, and so that becomes just like, if you're looking to hire, if you're looking for talent, there's somebody else that already has that. You can get paid to, to get those, those people. And the last, last part is your actual growth. So a lot of people talk about 
growth from the standpoint of I want to go buy a business and 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 I'm, and that income is going to come into my business and now I'm growing through acquisition. And one of the one of the things that most people don't consider is the fact that 45% of large businesses, 45% of their growth, I mean 45% of all large businesses have their growth come from acquisition. Yep. So 45% of the growth is, is from acquisitions. So, so if you're not doing acquisitions, then you're missing out on basically half of your potential growth. And a lot of small businesses think, oh, well, great. Like I, when I get to be a big business, I'll do that too. Right. But they don't realize like, no, they start that, that early. That, that's how you get to be. <laughs> and that's <laughs> how you get there. Right. <laughs> Right. So, but so that's one part of growth that should definitely be there. But the bigger part of growth is looking at your actual growth channels. So, you know, one of the businesses that that we had last year was in the art space. We basically were spending a lot of money for this art course and and products and driving traffic. We realized, like, okay, there are all of these Facebook groups that are talking about art, they're talking about this specific type of art, we can go and buy those businesses, those those groups, which in a lot of cases weren't generating any money, but they have our target audience. We can buy those and then at least we own something. And and, and we didn't know that how how great it was going to be, but you know, it was a business where we're spending $20,000 a month and we could buy these little groups with 100,000, 200,000 people. We spent $5,000 on those. And there was one group in particular where we basically bought it, had 100,000 people that were in the group. We end up basically replacing most of our traffic that we were getting by spending all of that money. But then the other cool thing is we were able to find some advertisers and sponsors. One was a, a framing co- a framing company that ended up being some some other interesting aspects of that deal. But that the, and like obviously these artists they need frames, and so we we partnered with them, and that became income. So we went from spending twenty thousand dollars to get traffic. And it basically transformed that process by buying these groups into making a net of about $3,000 that we're getting paid, you know? Yeah. So it's like, instead of us having that expense, and, and I look at now, like I look at even advertising, like I just can't bring myself to do advertising. Like if we're in a business, like we stay one, we're trying to figure out how do we own the media? How can we just go buy that media? Because anytime you're advertising, you're renting access to that audience. You're every month you got to rent access to that audience. And you know, again, you got to do it. And so I want to be able to buy the media where that audience is over renting access to it. Yeah. Yeah, really, really, really makes sense. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what would be some of the potential issues or concerns about this approach that people would think about? And and obviously, because there's obvious benefits, right? I love I love the idea of turning expense into into profit. I love the idea of you know of having things integrated. I love the idea of having more control. And at the same time, now though, you are 
And when I say running, obviously you're buying businesses with people in there that are operating. So you're not operating day to day, but you still have have oversight of a very disparate types of businesses, right? And that in theory could cause, you know, can cause issues, right? You know, maybe, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, you got more people, you got different types of business, different systems, different economic conditions that can affect it, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So how do you address those potential issues in something, you know, because there are philosophies out there that are very different. And listen, the, the bottom line answer is that certain things work for certain people, right? But some people would say, hey, we might vertically integrate some of the supply chain. We're going to stay in our niche on what we know. We're going to hire out these other experts. But you take a very different approach to that. And there's no right or wrong. How do you deal with the fact that you have so many disparate businesses? Yeah, a couple of things that are really important. And a lot of these deals, we don't even buy majority of the business. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, we're, we're coming in and, and we want to be able to benefit from the ownership, but we may not buy the whole business. And so either that previous owner still owns it and they see the benefit. Like we can sell a seller on, hey, if you hold on to this for another year, we both win. We're going to take our clients. We're going to put them into this bookkeeping company and, you know, like now just hold on to that for another year and you're going to get a bigger exit and we get a piece of that. Yes. So, you know, you have deals like that. You have other things like even within just the bookkeeping space, I I was speaking to a group and was talking about that deal in particular and an accountant comes up to me afterwards and he's like, so like there are people that will buy like a 10 client bookkeeping business. I was like, yeah, like, you know, obviously depending on the income, like definitely. He was like, man, like I turn away every month, 20 to 30 clients just because we don't want to take all the new clients in my CPA firm. Yeah. And, you know, it was like he reached into my heart and just got us like, you're just throwing away money. <laughs> and so in that case, we're literally just packaging businesses with him now. So we just are finding a person that, that's going to do the booking a lot of times overseas. He has the clients coming in. We package that with, with 10, 15 clients, and then we just exit out of that. So mm-hmm. part of this, and this is where even what you said becomes the, the you know, kind of the, the short answer is most people are still just buying business. So they're buying business and thinking about, okay, I'm going to run this forever. Yes. And that's where you start to get into just some headaches. You're trying to deal with just long-term issues. But I just am of the belief that the only reason you own a business is to exit. Like if you're in a business that you can't exit, you're just in a job. The only difference between a job and a business is that the business is a, is a sellable asset. Yes. So, you know, for, for folks that just are like self-employed, it's like, hey, that's great. You got, you got a job. But the goal of, of, of everything we do in every business is we're just every the only reason that we're doing the deal is for a exit focused reason. So it's yeah. we're increasing the enterprise value of this business by having this bolt on. You know, we're incre- we're creating an asset out of thin air uh, by you know taking our our expenses and, and putting that into another business. You know, with each one of these things, like when when we're the reason, like when we think about a group, we don't want to just take that group and save the twenty thousand. Even if it's just $3,000 a month, you know, that becomes a $30,000 business, a six-figure asset that at any point we can exit in and of itself. So everything is is about the exit. And so it becomes a, a little bit easier to manage because we're always kind of turning it over. It's not like now we've got to come up with a plan of how we're going to run this business for the next five, 10 years. Yeah. 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 No, that totally 
That totally makes sense. Yeah, it does eliminate a lot of the issues. And obviously you bring the skill sets and the smarts to increase the enterprise value in a short period of time. And then, yeah, then you can resell it, which is which is great. So you've done a couple hundred deals, obviously. 184 yesterday. How much? What, 184. 184. Okay, 184 deals. All right. So my guess, I have not met a, even a highly successful deal maker who is batting 100%. No. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, in fact, you don't even need to bat close to 100 to be successful. So let's talk about talk about an example or two where the deal didn't go well. Because listen, you've done 184 deals. Clearly, most of them go go really well. You've done very, very well. That's a given. But we learn we often learn the most from the ones that that go bad. So give us a couple yeah. of examples of, of ones that went bad and the lessons you learned from. Yeah, yeah. So one of the ones that that was a pretty bad deal that just was like. The, the worst, where it's one of the worst scenarios you have, you're, you're aware of. I, I was doing a roll up of some spas and tanning salons. And, you know, I basically had, had put together five. You know, I, I didn't dream of being a, a lifelong. Excuse me. Yeah, keep going. No worries. I didn't dream of being a lifelong tanning salon owner. Right. So, again, the plan was I'm going to put these five, put, you know, a few of these together and sell them. So we reached out to a, a lot of spas and salons and, you know, just a lot of people turned down the offers, blah, blah, blah. So I've got these five, we've rebranded. We've got a, a buyer that's about to buy those, those five. And one of the people that we had reached out to before reaches out to us and say, hey, you know that deal you offered me a while back? Like, I'm willing to take it now. And this is months and months later. And I'm like, yeah, that offer just isn't even on the table anymore. You know, we're about to sell these. Like it would be a very low, it'd be a lower offer now. And so the guy basically is like, hey, all right, we'll just come down to my house and we'll talk. And I'm like, all right. I go down to his house out in the middle of nowhere, first of all. And I get down there and, you know, we're eating dinner. I meet the family. And I, I guess maybe he thought, you know, I'm going to butter them up, <laughs> let them see these kids who's, who <laughs> want to need this money. And so we get to the end of dinner and he's like, all right, so tell me your offer. And I tell him my offer and, you know, he's quiet. I'm eating. I'm like, okay, he's going to play the, the negotiating game. Whoever says the first word, you know, that look. So I'm sitting there. It's like, I'll just wait, see if he says anything. And then I'll look up and he's turning beet red. And I realize, like, oh, this guy is angry. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm out here. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And he just like, burst into curse words, choice, choice things that really boiled down to you came into my house and, uh, and insult me with this. I'm like, I didn't want to come to your house, man. <laughs> right. At all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I didn't even really want the business. Like I'm about to sell. So I get out of the house. I'm like, yeah, great. I don't even want the business anyway. Cool. So maybe a week later, his wife number pops up. I'm like, why is she calling? And she calls she's like, I'm just wanting to apologize or blah. I'm like, no need. I understand. Like, it's all good. And then she's like, so we'll take that offer that you made us. And I'm like, no, like that offer is off the table as well now. And she's like, well, just tell us what you would do it. And I'm, I'll take care of it. Just tell me what you want to buy it for. And I come back and it's just even lower, just really at that point, just to say, hey, don't sell the business. And, you know, they had, she was really motivated to sell. She was kind of in the business and wanted to get out and da da And so they agreed to accept it. And so get to closing. I have to close. I go back to my buyers, tell them, hey, I've got this other deal. We're going to add it in. 
it's going to be a really great payday for me because I'm getting it so low and they agreed to still buy it at a, at a two multiple, which was still a discount, but it was just so low that it was, it was a cool deal for me. So I'm going to buy it and then I'm flipping it to them. I close my portion, go down to the business like the next day. I walk in and it's like the manager's seen a ghost. It's like, hey, have you seen the email? I'm like, like what email? You're talking about the email blast that went out. And I was like, no, I'm not on the email list. And she was like, you, you need to see the email. And I can still like see her face. She was just like, you need to go see this email. So I, I read, I sit down and I'm reading the email in, in the back office. And it was basically the owner. He sent out an email blast to all the customers and basically said, hey, you know, we sell the business and we got to tell you this to this guy named Ace Chapman. They should call him the ace hole because he was just a terrible person. You should not come to the business anymore. It just goes on this big rant. I'm just like, what in the world? So just like grenade bombs the business, essentially the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. And two things came from that. Number one, you know, I, I'm like devastated. I'm like, oh, my, what a pain. Like, I just paid. I lost this money, blah, blah, blah. I go through. I realize, like, okay, we've got, like, 21 bids. We've got these assets in here. I go to my buyers. I may say, hey, I can, <laughs> that business is off the table. I'm not going to sell it to you. But I've got these bids. You can put in the storage unit and just have this backup bids. You want to pay this price. And still was able to eke out a, a $10,000 uh, little profit. Wasn't my six figure that I thought I was going to get. But that was like a cool lesson. Like if you do get a rock bottom, then it can still work out. But the big lesson from that, and this is something that I literally still do. That was like such a big lesson, especially when there, there's any kind of tension. I always make the seller say that they're happy with the deal. Because a lot of times they're they they may not be all the way, but I'm like, hey, like I'm not gonna close this deal if if you're not happy with it. So even if they're not happy, it's like you're gonna tell me you're happy, and now you're almost breaking your own word if you go back and there's some kind of issue later. It's like I'm not closing this deal until you say I am happy with this deal. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, I mean, I, I guess on the structure of that deal, I mean, it was such a small amount that it was just all a lump sum. There was Cash. no back-end money that he had. No, at risk. That was, uh, that's the other big lesson. The other big lesson is even if you got the cash, whatever, having even just a little split. Like if we're doing a small deal, I'll still at least at the very least just have, you know, it's a, if it's a $100,000 deal, all right, I'm going to pay 50000 right now and then 50000 in 90 days. So that yeah. gives you, and it, it was in that case, like that is even back then something that I would normally do, but it was just a weird thing where I was selling it. And so I couldn't really have the debt out there and it was coming. So it was just, it was a, a, yeah. a pain, but now I definitely stick to, it's like, okay, I'm not doing the deal if we can't stick to these, these, these known rules, man. It's when you break your rules that, that you get in trouble, but that was a very heartaching uh, deal and just stressful trying to, and it just, it still was just a pain. I had to close it. I had to fire right. people. The first, right. you know, like it didn't last a day. <laughs> and from their perspective, it's like this black guy just came in, he, he buys the business, fires everybody, takes everything out. Um, and it was, it was, it was an adventure. So yeah, it, it, even with the 10,000, it was not worth the headache. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I didn't lose money though. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, sort of the deal market. You know, obviously you play in a number of different industries, you know, right? Small business, medium business, small medium business, you know, end of end of the market. You know, we've had 
certainly a boom time in the deal market generally at almost any industry and all, you know, pandemic affected industries, uh, an exception in some ways, but not because there were some obviously there are deals even done in bad markets, you know, down markets, opportunities that come up. But the point is the deal market overall, generally up and down the thing has been very, very robust as the economy has been strong in the last 10, 12 years before this last year, let's say plenty of capital out, out there and available, right? Looking, people looking to where they put their money because they're not getting any interest rates, right? Now things have started to shift, mm-hmm. right? We've got interest rates going up so people can get better returns on safe investments. You got inflation, you got you know some other economic headwinds, distribution issues, that kind of stuff. How are you seeing it affecting, if at all, the market in terms of deal volumes, in terms of valuations, in terms of structures, you know, all that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, there's just so many different deals. And then in each deal, they're like all of these, there's just so many factors, man. Like I think about some of the people, like I do a lot of internet businesses and for a while, like the FBA businesses were really hot and there were kind of these aggregators that raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Just Just, just for for any listeners who don't know what that is, explain FBA. Filled by Amazon. So, you know, you look at like that category was like a category within the internet deals and you just, they just were buying these things like, like crazy. And, you know, you see like where a shift from Amazon can affect a whole portfolio and you just have like billions of dollars that can, can be affected. But I think as you look at like the overall, just small under 5 million market, one of the things has been access to financing in order to buy businesses. So as that, what we, we, we've just seen, like as that interest rate goes up, the really cool thing is the money is still there. So deals are still getting closed and, and it's just a really great opportunity if, you, if you're somebody who needs financing to be able to do SBA. What, what happens though is the affordability goes down. Yeah, cost of capital is going up. So and, yeah. and cost of capital is going going up. So I would say that's one of the things just across all of the 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 businesses. But we've seen, you know, just in, in specific businesses where, you know, whether it's Google changes, whether it's Facebook changes, you know, everybody's getting traffic, even offline businesses now. You know, you're getting traffic from the Googles and the Facebooks and doing Instagram posts and, and all those things. And so you can start to see as they change things, it, it changes things across the board. On the other side, I will say, you know, we're looking at a, a portfolio. It seems like people are still doing well overall. And, you know, going back to your other question, as far as like even with, with our failures, like what I try to focus on is like the overall portfolio. So you're just yep. going to have deals that that don't do well. You're not taking enough risks if you don't have deals that don't do well. That's right. But if you can have a diversified portfolio, you've got some of those deals that are just going to be killer. And you know, I mentioned that the bookkeeping thing has been amazing. I, I think one of the, the side effects that until one of the clients mentioned it, I didn't really think people were were thinking about that, but I had a friend who basically came to me looking for bookkeeping. So I referred them to now we've got, you know, several bookkeeping companies because they're just killing it. And he was like, yeah, like the IRS just hired 80,000 people. And so I think for a lot of small business owners, they're like, oh, now is time is the time for me to like really be up on on my numbers because the IRS is not playing. I think they got thirty billion or something in, in additional funding at eighty 
thousand and they're combing and they're coming for their money. <laughs> yep. So trying to figure out, okay, based on these new markets, like where is the money going? And and you know, there's always some place that that there's a trend to take advantage of. Right. Listen, we can talk for hours about deals. Oh, I feel like we and, just got and, to and, the and we have the already iceberg. and we will continue to, but we can't do it for hours on the podcast. So <laughs> I'll just ask you before I go to my final two questions, if there's anything else about you know, whether it's lessons, whether it's about the deal market, any cool deal you you know you're working on, anything else you want to mention before we uh, we come to the uh, the close here? Let's see what 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 cool deal. One of the the things that I would encourage. So the thing that people aren't taking advantage of, that yep. I think that should be taken advantage of, is crowdfunding. So mm. one of the things is just across the board, we're getting just some amazing amazing results from is when we go out and you know we buy a business at a three multiple and then we're able to take it to a crowdfunding platform like we had we've had a couple deals we're working in the middle of one right now which is you know I had a call right before this one which is why it's got a top of mind where you know they had a valuation of about $300,000 and it's just a great product it's consumer they've got it patented it is a very cool business and we'll, we'll, we've got got it approved on one of the platforms. It'll be we'll be able to raise capital at a six million dollar valuation. One of the deals that I did at EO, the event that, that we met at, we we did a similar thing where you know we invested at a four hundred fifty thousand dollar valuation, and then it raised capital at a five million dollar valuation on WeFunder. So you just have these like really really cool things that you can you can take advantage of in the arbitrage. So that would be a tip that people can can look into. And if it's right for your business, it's a great, great opportunity. Love it. Love it. Great stuff. I'm, I've got like a checklist of things I want to talk to you about offline. But for the, uh, the purpose of this podcast, uh, so before I go to my final question, uh, where can people find out more about you and your businesses and anything else you want to share? Yeah, so got a lot of videos on YouTube that are just, you know, free training if you're interested in doing deals. I've got a book called The Ace Formula that is on Amazon. I got it updated. It's <laughs> over a decade old, but still uh, applies the, to, to today. I do have a Patreon that has over 200 videos where I get into, like you said, I can't talk about all the deals, but we just get into the nitty gritty. That's patreon.com slash Ace Chapman. And I'm Ace Chapman everywhere online. Love it. Love it, Ace. So my final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for mm. me, that means everything from freedom, again, from oppression for all people in the world to why I've been an entrepreneur. I haven't had a boss in decades. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? So for me, as you know, I've spent the last decade, I spent the, the, my 20s in a very intense hustle mode. I got to the point where I was 29, where I was getting hives and I go to the doctor about the the hives and he does some tests. I come back a week later. I'm like, yeah, like I need some kind of cream to get, you know, I can't go to these meetings and stuff. I got these hives on my face, man. I need some kind of cream. He's like, there's nothing that's going to get rid of it. I'm like, okay, well, what do I need to do? He's like, you got to take a vacation. It's just stress. You've got to, you know, relax and, and, and take a vacation. And like having the doctor prescribe a vacation and then going on a vacation with the girl I was dating and, and her like, dude, you're working just as much like you have an issue. And so that going from that in like my 20s into really purposefully designing my life. And that was that what I wrote, that was actually this, this paradox where 
I realized I, I'm here. I am like, I'm designing my life around my business. Mm-hmm. I need to really like be trying to figure out how can I, you know, design my life first and have my businesses fit in around that. And so I literally just sold everything, started from scratch, and it was more purposeful in how I do deals, how I filter them. And, and that is a filter, like literally a due diligence. You're asking about managing and, and all that, a due diligence filter over the deals, like, how much of a headache is this going to be for me? Mm-hmm. You know, how much of a low, like, is anything going to fall back on me? And the idea is that there's 0% that falls back on me. So I'm structuring the deal and getting other people involved and, and giving them pieces. And I'm readily, like, I, there's, I am greedy for freedom. I'm greedy for my time. I am not greedy. I will share the wealth. I'll share the equity. Like let's all win together. And so that's kind of where I come from, from freedom. I'm, I'm, I'm greedy with the freedom of my time and location. So I, I was mm-hmm. anchored down at that point with a lot of these, these businesses. And so that that's another filter. It's like, you know, as you know, one of my partners, Noah and I, we, we took a company public and part of it was like, Hey, like, are you going to be living overseas? And it was like, you really should be like in the US. And, you know, I told him, I was like, if that's a part of the deal, then we just won't go public. (laughs) This isn't going to work because that is a filter for me. So I think that's important. As you're doing these things, like a part of your due diligence, a part of your filtering should be, does this fit into the lifestyle that I want to design for myself? Love that. Love that. Ace Chapman, thank you so much for being a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.